0: Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for kids in our church, Lord. Uh, what a blessing they are to us. Thank you for uh, the gift of the annex and just a, a space uh, for people to use and um, have fellowship together. And we just thank you for that. Thank you for the body here of your church, Lord. And thank you for the fellowship, uh, the bride of Christ that we have together. A sweet time we get to have together, Lord. So just bless this time. Uh, help me this morning as I aim to speak your word this morning. Amen. Amen. So let's, before we get into, we're going to continue on in Second Samuel. Uh, we're going to do Second Samuel 15 and 16 today. But what I want to do first is set the stage by reading this to you. And it's probably going to come up on screen. I'm not really sure. i Again, this whole pastor thing's a lot of work. I was up, I think I was doing these slides at like 11, 11, last night. Um, so I think they're right, but we'll blame Calvin if they're not because that's what he's there for. He's got big shoulders. So let's take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 12 first. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10 to 12. I'm just going to set the stage here. And in verse 10 to 12 of 2 Samuel 12, it's God speaking. Uh, to David through the prophet Nathan. And this is after David took Bathsheba um, from her house while she was still married, got her pregnant, and then in his cover-up attempts, they didn't work, so he sent Bathsheba's husband to the front lines of battle and had him killed, purposely killed Uriah. They they went to battle, and the, the army drew back while Uriah was in the front, and he got killed, and so Nathan comes to David, and he says this to David. says this in verse 10 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan Into his house. So there's four things kind of prophesied to Nathan uh, in this, or prophesied to David through Nathan in this conversation. And it's this number one, the sword will never depart from your house. The second thing he says is the Lord will raise up evil against David out of his own house. Then he says, wives will be taken before your eyes, David, and they'll be taken by your neighbor, and he will lie with them in the sight of the sun. And then the final thing Nathan basically says is that the child born from Bathsheba, this first child born out of this um, sin, born to Bathsheba, will die. And so number one and number four took place last week. We saw, we saw number four take place. Within seven days, um, the child born to Bathsheba had died. Um, and we kind of saw... A little bit of, of, they'd already begun of the sword being a part of David's household when Absalom killed Amnon after Amnon raped his sister Tamar. And so this week we're going to see the fulfillment of uh, number two and three there from Nathan. And so as we go into chapter 15 and 16 this morning, just remember that this prophecy is all playing in the background of David's mind of, and just what a cost that sin has. Just eight chapters ago, I actually, last time I was up here I spoke on this, just eight chapters ago we, got, we were told that, that the, a covenant was formed with David, that through David's house, um, his house and kingdom will be made sure forever before God and, and his throne will be established forever. And now this one act of sin with Bathsheba has seemingly brought things crumbling down for David, just the cost of sin. But God is gracious in allowing David to live, but there's still a wage to be had for the sin that David performed. And so not only that, but last week we saw David try to kind of like smooth things over, right? His inaction and his refusal to deal with the rape of Tamar. And then after five years, Absalom comes back to Jerusalem, comes back to David after putting the sword to his brother Amnon, and David just accepts his son back into his life. You know, There's no, there's no repentance. There's no nothing. David just says, okay, yeah, come back in. And, and I think this is kind of David's way of just smoothing things over. He's got this prophecy in the back of his mind. And he knows that there's stuff that hasn't really happened yet. And he just thinks, you know, maybe if I just ignore this sin, maybe if I just pretend it never happened, then I can just prevent any more bad things from happening. And friends... I think we know how it's going to go. Ignoring sin and hiding sin, it never fixes it. Just simply keeping the closet door shut on the sin, telling people not to look in there. Do you guys have a room like that in your house where you say, I ah, just don't look in that room? Or in my house, the thing is uh, the Tupperware in the fridge you know, you just leave it in there. You're like, oh, that's probably bad, but I don't want to look at it. So you leave it for like two weeks until eventually you're like, okay, now I need to look at it. And you open it and you're like, I don't even, I can't, I don't even know what that was. Like you just mold and you're just, you just leave it. And you just then you eventually you realize you have to deal, you get to the point where you have to deal with it, but you just put it off and put it off. And friends, ignoring sin doesn't fix it. But David thinks, maybe if I just ignore it, then God will forget about it too. And we'll just pretend this never happened. Hey, side note. Did you guys hear we got a, Jessica and I got a a little puppy for just before Christmas. A miniature Australian shepherd. I think I've got a picture of him up here. There he is. Rupert. Rupert is his name. And before we get too crazy, I'm just going to answer some questions just to get it all over with. Yes, yes. I know Jessica and I are the most cliché newly married couple on the earth to get a puppy. No, I don't let him sleep in my bed. Yes, he was quite a bit more expensive than I want to admit up here publicly. No, I don't need any tips on how to train him and raise him. So just after the service, if you want to come tell me your best tips on how to train a dog, I'm good. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, Yes, he does like to bite me. Quite a bit in these three are his top favorite in descending order, my ankles, my hands, and my butt. (laughs) And so he's four months old. Uh, His name's Rupert, and he's pretty good. He's Australian shepherds. They're pretty smart, so he's catching things up pretty quick. He's pretty well-behaved, but he's still a puppy, right? So what puppies... Well, I've never had a puppy before, but... So we're training him, right? And he... Bites my ankle. So we grab him and we, no, no, no. And he gets it and he sits and he looks at me with these sweet puppy eyes. And you're like, oh, he gets it. He calms down, but he just has that twinkle in his eye. If you guys have dogs, you know what I mean, where he just look, his eyes just dart around and he's just looking for the next thing that he can get into. And he's calm for about a minute or two. And then all of a sudden he'll just pop his head up and he'll just go for it, whatever, the towel, the box sitting on, the, he'll just, he just has this, this like subtle, he'll look at me and then look over and then look back at me and then look over. And then when I'm not paying attention, he'll just, boom, go get it. And oh, it just makes me so mad. <laughs> Turn with me in your Bible, Second Samuel chapter 15, Second Samuel chapter 15, and then um, actually go back one verse into the end of 14. Uh, verse 33, chapter 14, verse 33, of 2 Samuel says this, Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So Absalom's back in town. They've reconciled, kind of like Rupert when he does a bad thing, and then we reconcile, and then we move on into verse 1 to 6 of chapter 15. Right away, look at this. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him, And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, "'From what city are you?' And when he said, "'Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel,' Absalom would say to him, "'See, your claims are good and right, "'but there is no man designated by the king to hear you.'" Then Absalom would say, "'Oh, that I were judge in the land.'" Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So the way the kingdom would work back then was... Whenever there would be a problem or injustice or something, they needed a decision, a ruling. They would go to the like, gates of the city, and there would be elders or leaders there, and they'd help you just figure out the law. They'd make a decision on your case, and they'd say, yeah, you're in the wrong here, so you've got to do this or that. They'd make a judgment. But if you weren't satisfied with that judgment, you could kind of go to the higher courts. You could go to Jerusalem, where David is the king, And you could get another look out of it, another look at it. David could take another look, kind of like moving it up to the higher courts, kind of like one of those, like, can I speak to your manager kind of ideas. But at this time, David's getting older. Um, He's busy. He probably doesn't have all the time in the world to deal with these silly problems that some people bring to him. Or maybe he just doesn't want to. I don't really know Why, whatever the reason, but Absalom, in his scheming, he decides to get a chariot, he decides to get horses, 50 men to run before him. So Absalom looks big and important. He's the crown prince. He looked the part. And he'd get up early. He put the work in. He'd get up early. He'd go to the great gate. He'd greet people. He'd say, Hello, my friend. How's it going? Good to see you. What's your problem? Oh, you are definitely in the right here. But unfortunately, there's just no one around. No one that can give you a judgment but me. If I was in charge, oh, I would give you the justice you deserve. But unfortunately, I'm not. So, oh well. And then he'd, you know, do the baby kissing and greet them and that kind of. He'd make a show of it, shake everyone's hand, and off home, off home they go. And they go, oh, they go home. You never guess who I talked to. this man, you should have seen the head of hair on this man. He was. <laughs> Just gorgeous, they would say. 200 shekels worth of hair, I'm telling you. And it was Absalom, and he's the crown prince, and he's awesome, and oh, that he were in charge, he would have given us justice. But we went there, and we made this journey, and David couldn't see us, and oh, if only Absalom were in charge. And the word says, so Absalom stole the heart's of the men of Israel, and Absalom does this for four years. This is dedication to the cause right here. For four years, he does this, steals the hearts of the men of Israel who come to, to David's city, to Jerusalem, and so look at verse 7 to 12. We'll keep going. We got a lot of text to go through here, by the way. This is a like, kind of narrative-driven striv- story. We got a lot to talk about here, so like half, half my sermon is just reading from the Bible, which is awesome. So let's keep going here. We're going to rip through a lot of this. Look at verse 7 to 12. Absalom, he starts to get a little bit more confident after four years. It says this, At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived lived at Gesher in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So we arose and went to Hebron, but Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite. David's counselor from his city, Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. So under the guise of religiosity, Absalom furthers his traitorous plans. And David is just totally blind to what's going on here. For four years, Absalom rises early. He meets the people at the gate, gains their loyalty. And what does David say when he... When Absalom asked to go to Hebron, in verse 9, he says, Go in peace. How ironic, eh? The last words spoken to his traitor, go in peace. So Absalom goes to Hebron. It's about 30 kilometers uh, southwest of Jerusalem. Why would he go to Hebron? Well, if you remember, because I know you do, because you're awesome Bible readers, Hebron was given to Caleb when the Israelites first came into the promised land, Hebron was kind of classified as a city of refuge. Hebron is actually where Absalom was born. Um, And Hebron was actually the original capital of Judah before David moved it to Jerusalem. And so with Absalom on his way to Hebron, he brings 200 clueless invited guests and he convinces Ahithophel, David's top counselor, to join him. And let's keep rolling. Look at what happens in verse 13. A messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest ye overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides so the king went out and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house, verse 17, and the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. So presumably Absalom blows the horn, uh, and the four years of Absalom scheming, he takes place, word comes to David, he packs up his household and takes off leaving behind 10 concubines to look after the house, you know, to make sure the pipes don't freeze, to feed the dogs. That kind of good stuff. Actually, you know, I started to think now that I have yeah, now that I have a <laughs> now that I have a puppy, I thought, "Oh, I wonder what'll happen if we get raptured. Who's going to look after my puppy?" Yeah, I yeah. Do I need to find like non-Christian friends to Tell them, hey, if I don't disappear someday, I need you to come feed my dog, or I don't know. That I just stuff you start to think about when you. I've never had an animal before to look after. Now I got this animal that is too far. I don't know. I don't know. So in my prep, it bothered me a little bit uh, that David would just pack up his household and take off. He would just take out a Dodge, just like that. He's just leaving behind everybody. He packs up his own people and, and takes off. But I, I came to reckon, and I think that he did the right thing with the right intention, because of verse 14b. It says, go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So David knew that Absalom wanted the throne, and would have no problem killing every last person, in the city in an effort to destroy David. So David takes off, and who goes with him? Look at verse 18. And all his servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Take note of this part. Verse 19 goes on. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king. For you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us? Since I go, I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But it I answered the king, As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, Whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. Verse 22, And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. What a response to the king, eh? What a response from Ittai. So should ours be to our king. Listen to this quote from Spurgeon. If Ittai, charmed with David's person and character, though a foreigner and a stranger, felt that he could enlist beneath his banner for life, yea, and declared that he would do so there and then, how much more may you and I, if we know what Christ has done for us, and who he is and what he deserves at our hands, at this good hour, plight our troth to him and vow. As the Lord liveth, surely in whatsoever place my Lord and Savior shall be, whether in death or life, even there also shall his servant be. What a faithful response by Ittai, the Philistine Gentile soldier. Let's keep going. Verse 23, another big chunk. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook Kidron, And all the people passed on towards the wilderness, and Abiathar came up. And behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimeaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So this is a big deal. Like, let's just make sure we all understand this, that we don't want to undersell this, that out goes David and his mighty men and soldiers and servants from his household, and in behind comes all the Levites, the high priests with the Ark of the Covenant, the carrying the Ark of God, and, and to the people staying behind, this has just got to be just devastating. There's actually, I got a picture here of, uh, so this is actually... David's, this like picture is kind of taken from where David's, the city of David would be. You can see the Temple Mount up on the left, the Mount of Olives and the Kidron Valley, which, so he would have crossed through the Kidron Valley and started going up the Mount of Olives. And just imagine being in the city of David, uh, just looking out and you can see all these people going up and the Ark of God following behind after. And this has just got to be devastating as a, a person in the city um, and they wept aloud and they think that God's leaving them with the ark and, and they just don't know what to do. And David responds saying, no, no, to the Levites. No, no, I'm gonna put my faith in God over, over this emblem. My fate is in the hands of the Lord. Let him do to me what seems good to him. Take the ark back. If the Lord deems it good, I'll be back here and I'll see this again. Look at verse 30. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the Archite "'came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. "'David said to him, "'If you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. <laughs> "'But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, "'I will be your servant, O king, "'as I have been your father's servant in time past, "'so now I will be your servant, "'then you will defeat for me the council of Ahithophel. "'Are not Zadok Zadok, and Abiathar the priest with you there?' So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Ahimeaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. So was that enough names for you to try and comprehend there? I've been reading this text for the past... Week and a half, and I still am barely able to keep everyone in line as to what's going on there. So I just, I'm going to give this to you. There's some key names to remember here from what I just read. The first is Hushai and Ahithophel. That's what you need to remember for this week. <laughs> Those are the major, some of the major players we're going to look at this week. And then next week, when we keep going through 2 Samuel, uh, keep in the back of your mind, if you're someone that writes notes down, Zadok and his son Ahimeaz, and then Abiathar and his son Jonathan. So we're not going to hear much from Zadok and Abiathar this week, but they're going to be important next week. And we're going to hear about them more next week. This week, we're going to focus more on Hushai, Hushai and Ahithophel. So that's about what you need to know there. Hush, so who's Hushai? Hushai, well, we don't really know. <laughs> He's a friend of David's... Um, probably esteemed, probably pretty old. The thought is, it's kind of rude. He's like, hey, I'm coming with you. And he says, no, no, you're gonna be a burden to me. So the thought was either he's very old and he's gonna take his time and, or maybe he's highly esteemed. So in that day, they'd have to like carry him or something to show his um, higher level than others. So David says, no, you're gonna be a burden to me. And you know what else you can do for me, Hushai? You can go back because you've been a counselor to me for a long time, you go back and you be a spy for me in Jerusalem. You pretend to be a servant to Absalom. And so that's what Hushai does. He goes back, he meets Absalom and as he's entering Jerusalem. So that's Hushai. And so what's the deal with Ahithophel? Well, we've already heard the name Ahithophel. Remember, he, he defected over to Absalom earlier. Absalom convinced Ahithophel to come meet him in Hebron. And, and Absalom was David's like, highly trusted counselor. We're going to see later that the, the word of Ahithophel, the counsel of Ahithophel was greatly esteemed amongst David and amongst Absalom. So why would the right-hand man of King David defect over to Absalom? Well, this is where it gets interesting because we actually know Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. Ahithophel had some pent-up bitterness going on in his life after seeing what David did to his granddaughter all those years ago, and he saw an opportunity, and he took it. And the bitterness of Ahithophel is finally coming to light all these years later. Let's keep going into chapter 16. Verse 1 to 4 says, When David, and, when David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him. With a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, a hundred bunches of raisins, a hundred of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Zeba, "Why have you brought these?" Zeba answered, "The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink." And the king said, "And where is your master's son?" Zeba said to the king, "Behold, he remains in Jerusalem." For he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. So David and his people, if you remember that picture, they go through the Kidron Valley, up over the Mount of Olives. And who comes to meet him with some gifts? None other than Ziba. Do you guys remember uh, Ziba, he was put in charge of looking after Mephibosheth. Say that five times fast. Do you, do you remember Mephibosheth? I, I'm going to say it five times fast here. The son, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, correct. And Jonathan was the son of Saul. And so when David became king, he sought to show kindness to someone in the lineage of Saul in Saul's family, and Mephibosheth was there. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, was still around, and Mephibosheth, remember, he was lame in both his uh, feet That his, when he was a young baby, I guess, I don't know, but he was being carried to rush out of the house, and the, the what's the word I'm looking for? Not maid, nurse, nurse. yeah, dropped him. And he's lame in both his feet. And that was basically a death sentence at that time, right? Like there's no disability back then. There's no social security. For (laughs) for Mephibosheth, he's like a dead dog. He even says that. He He says it to David. He says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And David just absolutely sets him up earlier. He sets up Mephibosheth, he uh, gives him land, he lets him eat at his table. It says that Mephibosheth became like one of David's sons that day. And so in some of your translations, the heading might be, my translation, it says just David and Ziba. But in some of your translations, it might say Ziba lies to David. And you go, well, uh, did he lie? Didn't he lie? I, I don't really know. But the more I thought about it this week and, and the more I look at other references, we're gonna see later on in Second Samuel that uh, Mephibosheth is gonna have a chance to rebuttal this claim by Ziba. I, I actually do think that Ziba is lying to David here. Ziba lies to David. He sees an opportunity and he takes it. And he says, you know what? Mephibosheth thinks that you and Absalom are gonna go to war and kill each other. And I'm gonna be the next one in line uh, to take the throne. And it just doesn't make sense. Mephibosheth was like a dead dog. And now by the grace of David, David gave him life and made him like one of his own sons. Sounds far too familiar like what Jesus did for you and me, doesn't it? When you realize the absolute amazing grace and gift that has been given to you freely through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, are you going to turn your back on him like that and jump at an opportunity to betray him? I don't think so. Let's keep going in 16. Verse 5. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Girah. And as he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. I like to think that's how he said Ah, oh, just let me go over the take off his head. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may now this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. Verse 13, so David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan and there he refreshed himself. My goodness, how ballsy of Shimei, eh? Can you imagine The mighty men of David are all around him and he comes up and starts flinging dust and stones and, you know, these men probably could have squished Shimei between their little pinky fingers if they wanted to, but David shows mercy. He lets his actions follow his words. Remember he said earlier, he said, let the Lord do as he sees fit. You know, maybe David had in the back of his mind Deuteronomy 32 where it says, the Lord says vengeance is mine. And Shimei takes a half step back. Maybe he hears Abishai say, I'm going to go over and kill this guy. So he goes, Oh, oh Shimei, He's all of a sudden, oh, oh, okay, I'll take a step back and keep throwing rocks at him as they go on. Look at verse 13 again. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. And there he refreshed himself. Keep going to verse 15 to the end. We're going to wrap it up here with the two prophecies from Nathan that haven't yet happened to be fulfilled. Remember I told you there's two prophecies we're going to see happen here. Look at verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with them. And when Hushai the archite, remember Hushai, there he is. He went back to be a spy. When Hushai the archite David's friend came to Absalom. Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, no, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be and with him I will will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel, what shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go in to your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep, the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was, was, was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. So Absalom enters the city uh, just full of pride, arrogance, the praise of men around him just absolutely pumping his tires up. And his own pride just blinds his ability to think. Under the guise of religiosity, Absalom puts his plan into action. And without ever actually searching the will of God, he enters Jerusalem and his pride continues to corrupt him. Our boy Hushai, he pledges allegiance to Absalom. But remember, he's just a spy, so that's just a bit of a ruse. A tricky Hushai So Absalom goes into David's house. He sits on the throne. He looks at Ahithophel. He says, Ahithophel, my dude, give me some counsel. What now? I'd like to think he's like a dog who chases a car and he now got the car. And he's like, now what do I do? I'm sitting on the throne. (laughs) What do I do now? I didn't think it would get this far. Now what do I do, Ahithophel? So Ahithophel says, go pitch a tent on the roof. Take your father's concubines and then all Israel will know there's no going back. The men who are with you will know there's no going back. Once you do this deed to your father's concubines, you are going to become a stench to your father and the people with you are going to know. It's like burning the bridges behind you as you go. Hey, there's no going back. I'm all in here. This is what's going on. There isn't going to be any treaties or allegiances with dad later on. I'm going to become a stench to my father and I'm going to do this deed, fulfilling the prophecy that Nathan said that wives will be taken before David's eyes and he shall lie with them in the sight of the son. So there you have it, a wild story, very narrative-driven story this week. And so there's more to come next week concerning what's going to happen now. David's uh, gone to the Jordan with all his people, um, Absalom sitting in the throne of Jerusalem, deciding what his next move's going to be. And so just as we fly around here at absolutely 50,000 feet over this text, feels like for the past 45 minutes, wondering what is going on, I'm just going to try and land this plane, crash land it for you the best I can with just one final thought. And it's this. This is the final thought for you. Actually, as a as uh, the worship team comes up, I'm going to give you this final thought. And it's this, how are you approaching the king today? Are you approaching the king um, with sin hiding in the closet, with that Tupperware at the back, rotting, stenching, festering, waiting to pop out? Are you approaching the king like Absalom was? under the guise of religiosity, you think, oh, if I just come to church, then I'm good. I'm just coming to church doing the thing. I'm just going through the motions. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm making the sacrifices I'm supposed to do. I'm, you know, clicking like on the podcast like I was told to, so I'm good. But there's nothing going on in your heart, just like Absalom. You know, Jesus isn't concerned with how many times you watch our uploads on YouTube. He's concerned with whether or not your faith is in the blood of the Lamb. Or are you coming to the king like Ziba? Ziba who came to the king lying to him, lying to everyone, trying to trick his way to rewards, to riches. Are you approaching the king like Shimei, who approached the king just disgusted with him, throwing dirt, You want nothing to do with the king? I implore you today, friends, to approach the king in this way, as Idi the Giddite did. The one who showed up just the day before. He showed up into Jerusalem just the day before. And now leaving the city, he's following David wherever he goes. During these times of trouble, Idi the Giddite says, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And that's how we should come to our King Jesus sitting on the throne today. Coming saying, wherever you are, King Jesus, there I will be with you. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's There's a wage to be had, whether it's sin, there's a wage you receive. And that wage is death. But thankfully, through Jesus Christ, we have life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father.